Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Compton Podcast. We talk about your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. And I'm Decoria. I've forgotten you wasn't three. <laughs> yes, Nia's not here with us today, but she will be back in no time. In the meantime, you can uh, make sure you wear your mask, drink some water, some sunscreen in her honor as we jump into today's review. Um, we have been on this kind of um, this kind of obscure uh, 90s, 2000s movie uh, vibe, and so I brought to the table that everyone should watch my favorite obscure one of my favorite obscure 2000s movies Cradle to the Grave dun dun um for those of you who have never heard of Cradle to the Grave Cradle to the Grave is um a 2003 American action film directed by Andreas Bartkowak I don't know how to pronounce that and stars Jet Li and DMX yes Jet Li and DMX the rapper. <laughs> um, it is directed. Uh, the screenplay is by John O'Brien and Channing Gibson. Um, other people to notice in this movie is Andy Henderson, <laughs> Kelly Who, Tom Arnold, uh, Gabrielle Union, <laughs> Mark DeCosta, and a lot of other like two thousands early stars. You know, it's a Warner Brothers distributed, hundred and one minutes. Um. <laughs> I love how the language just says English, Mandarin, and Korean. <laughs> we'll get to that. But um, budget was $25 million, Box office, $56 million. And so we're just going to, before we jump in, um, ladies, have you ever watched Credit to the Grave? No, I have not. This is my first Jet Li and DMX movie. Mm. Mm. What about you, Corey? Oh, uh, yeah. I've seen it a couple times before. Mm-hmm. Mayor, what did you think this movie was going to be about when you saw the title and the poster? Um, I was like, I was like, is it going to give me rush hour energy, but darker? That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> um, so, uh, a small synopsis is that Anthony Fate and his crew of thieves attempts to steal diamonds for a Frenchman named Christophe, who serves as the middleman for a mysterious employer when Fayot contacts Christophe, a Taiwanese intelligence agent named Sue, intercepts the conversation and attempts to identify the criminals. So it's a heist movie, and honestly, in retrospect, Curl to the Grave is a very weird title for this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect. So, we are going to recap, and I hope you follow along with this so the movie opens up with eminem's go to sleep um i think this was originally created for the movie um when i tell you that the chorus of that song is stuck in my brain and the nostalgia part of my brain die motherfucker die die (laughs) bitch close your eyes i was like okay so the one thing i remember the most from this movie without fail is the music (laughs) Uh So we open up on this song. We get, you know, these cool aerial shots of the city. It looks like we're in New York. Lo and behold, we're in motherfucking California. <laughs> I could have sworn we were in New York from all the subway and the city shots. Um, but we're watching our homeboy Miles. and We're watching Tony on a train, basically. Tony's on a train. He meets Miles at a, uh, a station. And then they proceed to just casually, like without even looking back, just casually walk off the tracks into the subway tunnels. And I'm sitting here like, where's the security? <laughs> security? I'm over here like, you're trying to think these people are far enough ahead and running fast enough that this train is not going to hit them? Okay. <laughs> so, Miles and Tony, they got bags on their backs. We don't really know what they're doing in the beginning, but they're on the tracks. The train is coming. They're able to, you know, just, just by a hair um miss the train without getting hit and they go into this door off to the side they um are honestly underneath something and they're like x marks the spot so they start um carving a hole in the ceiling and i'm sitting here and if you're watching me the first time you're like are these motherfuckers for the rob somebody in swag in drip (laughs) tony not tony miles had on light blue (laughs) I was sitting, they had on light blue leather jackets, chains, like, this is a regular day, you know, 
in the hood with the boys. And I'm like, y'all are not fit to rob any place, in my opinion, with these baggy shoes and Timberlands on. Um, So we're watching this. We see the other two members of our crew who are Tommy and Daria. And Tommy and Daria are in charge of making the distraction. You know, Daria, Miss Gabrielle Union, looking very pretty. When is she ever not giving? Also, in a fit. Not looking like she's going to rob the place, but they are robbing in broad daylight. So I guess that's for the better that they don't have on all black looking even more suspicious. So she, you know, shows up to this little diamond exchange or whatever. I don't, it's just, it's not a bank, is it? It's like, it looks like a, like a hotel or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think it might be like a, like a, like a diamond company, mm-hmm. a stone company or some sorts, whatever it is, a jewelry company of some sorts. And so she's, you know, flirting with the, the security guard. He's like, I have to do my job, ma'am. I'm, you know, I have to do my job. So it's just not working. You know, the guys need to come out of the hole and, you know, switch out the cameras, but they can't do that if the guard is not distracted. We cut to a call of a Frenchman, a white Frenchman in a nice hotel room who calls Tony and they're like, Tony's like, we're in, we're getting it done. He's like, cool. You know, he's like, cool, get the job done. We'll, you know, exchange uh, whatever they're finna steal. We don't know what they're stealing. And so then we cut to Jet Li sitting in a convertible with glasses on listening into this conversation through like um, a two-way radio or whatever sue then walks to the edge of a building and you're like what is he doing well he basically enters christoph's room by jumping well not jumping falling mm. how, do, <laughs> falling. Uh, how do i describe this to you gently basically hops over the edge of this building which is like on the roof right and he falls from floor to floor with the hands strength of a god <laughs> until he gets to christoph's room who has his veranda door just open and he you know he gets to the room we cut back to gabrielle i mean daria who is trying to distract security when she realizes there's a gay magazine on his desk she's like uh tommy your turn the man is gay he's not going <laughs> to take any bait tommy's like what the fuck this is not the plan he's like tommy, tony's like this is an order my nigga you gotta do this so we can get these diamonds and so Tommy comes up, he starts flirting with security. Tony is able to record what the security camera records and then uses that camera as, you know, a fake so the security guard doesn't uh, suspect anything. Um, Christoph is like, who the fuck are you? Why are you in my room? Sue is like, where are the stones? And Christoph tries to fight him and Jetly is fighting him with one hand in his pocket. So we know this man is not to be played with, right? He's like, tell me who's helping you do this exchange. And so Christoph being a little bitch, he is obviously tells. So Tommy flirts with the security um, while Tony Miles and Daria open up the bank safe with the motherfucking missile. <laughs> before that though before that so basically the process of this is that they freeze the safe door they drill a hole they fill it with dry ice or like they freeze the mechanism then they attach what can i can only presume to be a very small missile i guess um to the front of the safe to blow the cover off of it <laughs> They are the motherfucking loudest robbers of the world. So while this is happening, Tommy's flirting with the... Before they do this, though, they say faith. That's their little thing. It's like faith. You know, faith that this this giant-ass missile is not going to get us caught. And so um, that happens when Tony... Um, not Tony. When Tommy's flirting with the security guard, two of my favorite lines, lines, uh, he says that he likes to see men. He's like, I love a man in uniform. Sailor. All I can think of is mm, seafood. <laughs> and then he's just like, um, then he asks the security guard, I hope you're not wasting all that on a woman. And he shows him the magazine. He says, Yahtzee. I <laughs> screamed. Y'all don't know what Yahtzee is. It's like this little, it's a gambling game, but like that brought back up like a huge like unlocked a memory because my mom used to have the electronic version of Yahtzee and we used to play it all the time anyway the they pop off the cover of this safe and Tony tells the security guard oh it's just an earthquake and so the other half of the crew gets to the safe they empty out all these deposit boxes they're only taking diamonds they're not taking any other um precious stones and then they find these black stones which is what they came for and we can assume that they're black diamonds right so after you know getting the information out of Kristoff, sue calls the police 
um, Sue, aka Jelly, calls the police, um, and then calls Tony to tell him that their boss read them out and that they need to go and just leave the stones. Uh, Tony's like, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to do that. Let's wrap the shit up. So they wrap it up. Um, SWAT arrives. The crew runs into the subway. Tommy is, you know, with the limo, um, up top of the getaway. They split up. It's Daria and Tony while Miles is on his own. Daria and Tony, even though the trains have been stopped, Daria and Tony are able to climb atop a subway train. But while the train is going super fast, they almost lose their loot because for some fucking reason, nobody decided to put that on their body. And it was just laying on the train next to them. And, you know, Daria almost lost her life trying to save that. Um, but, you know, before they can get to safety, Miles makes it to the next platform only to get his ass handed to him by Sue, who is still fighting motherfuckers with his hand in his pocket. <laughs> um, Sue is obviously not trying to kill Miles. He just wants the bag. So he takes the bag and he leaves. Sue gets back into his little convertible and he checks the bag and realizes that they're only diamonds and not stones. So he's fucked. And so Darian and Tony make it to the next platform. They slightly been into the crowd. We cut to an airport where we can only assume these are our bad guys. There seem to be several um um people of Asian descendant, which we can only assume who are Chinese at the moment. Um Ling gets off the private jet. Uh <laughs> And he says to Charles, he says, how you like in California? He's like, no, I hope we're not here long. I hate sunshine. And I said, where in the world are you going where there's no sunshine? <laughs> where there's no sunshine. And so um, he kisses the woman. I don't, do they even say her name? I don't even think she have a name. I mean, the actress is very popular. Kelly who? She's a Sona. So Sona, he kisses Sona. And she's like, we have a problem. Our exchange was just robbed. And he's like, mm, well, let's hope that was part of the plan. He doesn't really look concerned about it. So Sue shows back up to the diamond shop um, where he returns to loot. And he hands over his credentials to the cops who take him to the leaner and to their, like, the head of the investigation. And so we kind of learn that he's someone of importance, right? We cut to Tony's house where he puts his daughter Vanessa to bed. Um... You know, they have a very cute father and daughter relationship. He gives her the stolen diamond necklace, the other one thing that they got from um, the the thieving, and as a gift. And then they say this prayer that is used multiple times in um, the series. It's, it's Angels North, Angels South, Angels East and West. Do your best. Guide her while she rests. Um, something like that. <laughs> that also has been stuck in my brain, even though I can't recite it correctly. Um... So the crew reconveys and they try to figure out what the fuck, fuck happened last night. Obviously, Kristoff sold them out. That's why the police was there. Miles makes it back safely to the house and tells them that he got his ass kicked by some Chinese dude and it was and their loot was taken. Um, so, but Tony pulls out the bag of black stones and he's like, "All right, this is all we fucking got." So you know, Tommy's like, "Do we need to like be leaving to a country?" You know, an island country with no extradition policy because what the fuck? Um, and we realize that they have a no gun policy, but they might have to lift that if shit gets dangerous. Tony tells the crew to just wait while he goes to find answers. He goes alone. We cut to Chris off about to lose his fucking life um, as Ling and his men interrogate him about what happened at the exchange. Tony goes to see Archie, and Archie is a pawn shop dealer who also deals in black market items. He tries to sell Tony a fucking tank. <laughs> well, also, um, stocking up on a shitload of TVs. So, Tony and Archie, Archie is very much the comic relief in this movie. They're going back and forth. Um, <laughs> Archie asked Tony, hey, you wouldn't happen to have been downtown today. Tony said, no. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Sure, cool. <laughs> and so... Tony asks Archie, has he ever seen a black diamond? Archie says, no. He takes out the stones and he's like, find off, find out what these are, what's happening. And Archie's like, okay, cool. And so Tony goes to see Kristoff because he needs to know what the fuck happened. When Tony arrived to Kristoff's place, the vibes are off. It's dark. There's no light. He doesn't see Kristoff. He turns on the light to find Kristoff's dead body in his fish tank. Um, Sue is also there. He's like, well, looks dead to me. And um, Tony, not surprised to see this man just standing there. It's just like, well, this is your doing? Yeah. Sue's like, this is not my style. Tony recognizes Sue's voice and asks him, you know, who the fuck are you? He's like, I'm Sue. He's like, all right, Sue, I'm Sally. 
<laughs> the one-liners in this movie really does make it one of my favorites. Um, and so Sue says he wants the stones. Tony says, well, make me a fucking offer because I'm not just going to give them to you. And he's like, mm, your offer is that you can walk out of here alive. Tony's like, no deal. So they start tussling when Kristoff's phone rings and it's Ling looking for Tony. And he says he wants the stones back. Tony says, I'm a businessman, so make me an offer. But Ling doesn't. And so Tony heads back to Archie's. Um, the background music right here is bumping, you know? Tony's very pissed off because they did all this work. And he's like, I don't know what these fucking stones are. Who the fuck are you people? I just robbed for the exchange and now they're in this shit, shit mess, right? So the minute Tony pulls out the parking lot from Kristoff's place, he's followed by two goons and an SUV. He realizes that um, there's a funny moment when they have to drive by the cops, which is also hilarious. Tony lures them down an alleyway, then then pushes a trash can full force into this SUV. They tussle, but Tony gets held up at gunpoint because he doesn't have a gun. <clears throat> but then Sue shows up, so the two start to deal with the goons. Um, they get chased by Dobermans, but you know Tony is truly fed the fuck up. He's like, I don't. <laughs> he's like, I don't give a fuck about these stones anymore at this point, almost. Um, but then Tony gets a call from Archie, and Tony and Archie's like, "Hey, yo, um, the stones got taken." And so Tony and Sue head back to Archie's, find out that basically Archie practically gave them the stones because he didn't want to get the shit beat out of him. But he's like, "Listen, I, you know, I had to tell you, you know, the stones got taken or whatever." Um, he's making excuses, but he points out that the weapons that they have are U.S. military-grade weapons, and Tony's like, fuck, the only places you can get those type of weapons in California or around here is Jump Chambers, who Tony does not look happy to go, that he has to go talk to Jump Chambers. Um, Sue says they should work together, and Tony is like, nah, I don't need the fucking headache. And then he's like, who the fuck are you anyway? And we find out that Sue is Taiwanese Central Intelligence. Um, so Tony gets another call from Ling and we find out that he's kidnapped Vanessa, his daughter, and he tells Tony he needs the stones immediately or his daughter's going to die. Sue and Ling talk on the phone, which I don't know why they didn't give you all the subtitles. Well, they didn't give you all the subtitles because Sue basically tells you what he says. He talks on the phone to Ling. He says that he has the stones, but he didn't negotiate for his daughter. And Tony's like, what the fuck? He's like, well, we got to confuse him because he's like, I know this man. You got to confuse him. Like he's going to panic or he's gonna either he's not gonna panic but he's not going to hurt her if he realizes that i'm not in a rush for her or something along those lines but tony and sue decided to work together so they go to meet jump chambers ling takes vanessa to an air hanger locks her in a retro orange rnv and spray paints the windows out um ling is confused but he feels like something's off so he also sends his men to start looking for the stones himself so sue and tony have a heart-to-heart about their daughter in the car sue's daughter's 15 you know, Tony asked for more info about these stones, and Sue's like, the stones are not what you fucking think. He's like, okay, cool, yeah, I fucking gathered that. Um, He's like, but what about this lean guy? He's like, he's exactly what you think. He's a thief and a killer. He's just like, just my fucking luck. And in between this, one of my favorite scenes of Vanessa is when they first kidnap her, and she's keep yelling, I want my daddy, I want my daddy, I want my daddy, and Charles, the bald-headed Chinese man, goes to her and says, shut up! And she says, you shut up! <laughs> she's so precious. And he's like, go to sleep, and so she lays down. Um, but she's safe for the moment. So we jump back into the crew, and Tony and Sue pull up to a prison um, and are escorted escorted to a decked out cell where the police are delivering the mail to mother and fixing DVDs from motherfucking jump chambers. Um, he sees Tony. He's like, "Oh, Tony, what are you doing here?" He sees Sue and calls him by a slur for Korean people. So this scene, this scene is <laughs> this scene is not fun. It's very that the whole monologue from Jump Chambers is so misogynistic and xenophobic <laughs> and racist. It's not really worth talking about. But we find out that Chambers used to be Daria's pimp, and then Tony got her out, so that's why they're beefing. And then he says this line in Korean to <laughs> to Sue under the impression that the maid is Korean. And y'all, when I said I listened to this line 15 times and I, I still <laughs> have no fucking idea <laughs> what he said. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, 
the only thing I can make out is Kyung Dol and then Chuahe. And I think he said he's something like somebody's tall. And I was like, I I was like racking my brain. I was like, I can't. Well, first of all, it's also hilarious that this movie even included Korean as one of the languages. <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe they just told the me something random or something like that. Girl, I I was just sitting here like, I what? What? <laughs> Whatever the hell he said. If you know what this line is, please, for the love of God, <laughs> tell me what it is. Because I I can't make out the beginning of it to save my life. Um, I'm also proud of myself because I could figure out a lot of the lines that Jet Li was saying in Chinese. Um, although the actor who plays Ling, his Chinese is not great, so I couldn't understand him. But whatever Jet Li was saying, I was like, oh, I got the gist of that. I was very proud of myself. Um, so, anyway. Tony basically begs Chambers for the stones. He's like, my girl, he's like, my daughter is, you know, wrapped up in this. And Trump is like, uh, um, he's not with it. So, so, um, he took the stones because he was suspicious about the heist because it seems like the payoff wasn't worth Tony and his crew being in that much danger in the first place. And then, um, Tony's chef tries to attack them because, I don't know, for some reason, and gently just kicked the shit out of him, and that was funny. Um, and so they leave Jump Chambers, and Tony's like, the Stones are at his club, and Sue's like, how the fuck do you know that? He's like, I don't, but if he's gonna put them anywhere, I think that's where they be. And so they decide to split up. Um, Sue goes to Archie to make him remember something about the goons that robbed him, and Tony goes to Chambers Club to look for the stones. So at the club, Daria is our distraction. She shows up um, to the manager. She's telling the manager how Tony's not taking care of her anymore, and I need a job, and is junk gonna be okay with me coming back to work here? And the manager's like, I'll take care of that. And they, you know, start to drink champagne, and he brings her back to the office, and she's seducing him, and all this other stuff. Um, while she's doing that, Tommy disguises himself as a bug guy, which was a very funny scene, um, to basically, he basically telling the doorman that the city is requiring them to, uh, spray down all establishments that cater to foreigners because they're bringing, um, exotic bugs into the country through their suitcases and shit. And so if he doesn't spray the place down, then, you know, um, law enforcement's gonna come and shut the shit down. And doorman's like, oh, we can't have that, but there's customers in here. He's like, that's fine, just take me to a small room. I'll set off these bombs here and then we'll figure out the rest later. And so Tommy basically isolates the office of Jump Chambers so Miles and Tony can break in and then nobody will go into that office while they're broken in. Um, once again, they use this the loudest machine possible to open up this fucking safe, which is a sniper rifle. And of course, the motherfuckers at the club hear that and they go on alert. They go in to fight Miles and Tony. Tony basically tells Miles to run away while he still looks for the stones. Um, meanwhile, at the underground fighting ring, well, well, they open the safe and the stones right there. BTW. Meanwhile, at the underground fighting ring, Archie brings Sue in as an unregistered fighter, and they look for the goon with a specific ring that is supposed to identify them, because Archie, of course, being a white man, cannot tell black people f- from one another. <laughs> and he makes it clear he can't tell Asian people from one another either. <laughs> um, so, before they can find the guy, though, Sue is called into the octagon to fight. He isn't using his full fighting skills his hand is still in his pocket um but he forfeits the match which for some reason causes the fighters to lose their shit they're angry at him now and now he's fighting motherfuckers one to twenty um meanwhile tony is arrested at the club but he makes his escape on a (laughs) four-wheeler which was one of the most interesting chase scenes i've ever seen he hops on this four-wheeler and then the owners of the four-wheelers Hop on dark brights to go chase him. And I'm sitting here. Why would you go chase a motherfucker that is getting chased by the cops? With what confidence do you think you're going to get this AV four-wheeler back? <laughs> um, so they go to chase him. But Tony eventually gets away. And they meet up in Chinatown. Um, 
Sue wins this fight, of course, and he goes back to the parking lot where he finds Archie had found the guy, had tased him, and they inter- interrogate him about the stones. Um, we jump to a scene where Ling goes to see Jump Chambers to ask where the stones are, but Jump isn't going to give it to him. He's like, I need money. He describes wanting money in the most misogynistic way ever. He akins it to um, sex with no effort. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, basically the way I describe it. He was being a real, um, it's not even incel douches. It's just like the worst part of misogyny ever. Anyway. Um, but, you know, Ling is not like Sue and Tony. So, uh, he, you know, says a threat with words. The chef tries to kill him. And then Ling uses a crab claw to stab the, the chef in the neck. That was a scene. Um, and then he, you know, kicks Chambers out of his chair and basically um, stabs a scalpel into the back of his neck. I'm pretty sure that's where his brain stem is. Mm-hmm. Haven't taken anatomy in a while. But as he's leaving, he says to the the guards, the police, they're not police, but it's prison guards, you know, pe- um, jumps people. He says, Mr. James is resting and not to bother him. Um, Vanessa actually has Vanessa well before this I don't remember when but Vanessa is a smart girl she tried to actually she somehow got the keys from one of the bald-headed man Charles um and tried to drive this truck this this RV covered in spray paint out of the air hanger so baby girl has a will to live and has obviously been taught to you know save herself by her dad but now she's been duct taped because they want her to you know not be able to move but she sees her dad being chased on tv and she sees the crew which kind of gives her some more hope um so then we hop back to the crew they find out that the stones were at the club they return but they realize that something is off the doorman isn't at the door so tony and sue go into the club no one stops them they go into the office to find all of Chambers men dead. They go to the fountain to look for the stones, but they're gone. Um, Ling and his people basically had arrived before the crew got there um, and took the stones. And Tony starts to panic about Vanessa. He's like, she's a little girl. Ling, you know, she can't hurt Ling. I hope he doesn't, you know, hurt her. And back at the air hangar, Vanessa uses the necklace her father had given her to um, cut the duct tape off her arms. Um and she starts to look through the cabinets to f- try to find something. She finds a cell phone. She calls Tony, who almost doesn't pick up the phone, and tells him about where she is. She describes being in a van in a building and seeing green lights like a laser show um, before the phone dies. And Sue mentions that he's trying to make the stones more powerful. And they're like, what the fuck are we talking about? We find out that these are not black diamonds, bitch. This is portable plutonium that they're trying to sell um taiwan created this plutonium and the reason sue is after ling is because ling betrayed them he killed all their men he almost killed um sue as well but sue is like i have to take it back i have to you know they're gonna do taiwan is going to destroy the plutonium we don't need it right um so the crew deduces that if there are buyers coming in to buy this shit they could use their connects at air traffic to figure out um which hangar they're at and they do they have five helicopters coming into one hangar so the crew the no gun policy is off they strap up and decide that decide and go to the hangar to save vanessa and get the plutonium back so arms dealers from all over the world show up some people are italian some people look from you know to be of african descent others are um you know white asian whoever they're the biggest arms dealers in over the world and they basically explain to them that this is portable plutonium which is stronger than most atomic weapons and it's more powerful than two hiroshima bombs and i sat there saying why in the fuck would i ever ever want that much power (laughs) it's when he said powerful than more powerful than hiroshima i said what (laughs) um but also btw i wouldn't be selling the plutonium to other people if i didn't have a surefire way to protect myself from this plutonium whatever it is so the crew splits up 
Miles is not a sniper duty. Archie and Tommy are in a tank together. Daria and Tony are together, and Daria's job is to go get Vanessa. Um, Sue basically breaks into the place at first. Um, Miles first takes out the two guards in front, pow, pow. And so then Archie and Tommy drive through the wall of the hangar with a tank. They just start blasting shit. Well, they don't blast shit at first. They basically hold everybody at gunpoint and say, put the shit down, give us the girl, put the stones down. Um, the dude who's in charge of the plutonium cells is like, fuck that, jumps into a truck and starts shooting them with an automatic war weapon that they have. And so they're, sh- they're shooting and returning fire. Vanessa takes this moment to run out of the hangar. And for some reason, the motherfu- the bald motherfucker Charles is just like, huh, I don't have to babysit no more. And I guess he hates kids so much he wants to kill them. Mm. If you hate kids so much you, have- you want to cause them physical harm, you're a weird fucking person. I just want you to know that. So... He chases after Vanessa and Tony says, I will get Vanessa. Um, Sue goes to fight um, Ling, but Ling basically has Sona fight him off. And I don't understand why Sue was fighting Sona with his hand in his pocket. I guess there was more to their relationship. She, she literally says to him, how many times do we have to kill you? So, you know, he wasn't using 100% fighting skills with her. And then Daria shows up. And so the girls are fighting the girls. Sue goes after Ling. Ling hops in a helicopter. They're about to fly off. Archie and Tommy kill the guy who was shooting at them. And then shoot the helicopter down with a missile from the tank. Then we have, like, three different fighting scenes. So Daria and Sona are fighting. Their fight scene is very interesting. But Daria wins. And then Charles... It's fighting Tony while Tony's still trying to protect Vanessa, which is also interesting. And then you have the fight scene between Sue and Ling, which was like a martial arts movie. When I say the last 30 minutes of this movie felt like two different movies completely <laughs> based on the fight scenes alone. Um, we'll talk about that after we get done with this. Basically, they fight. The crew wins. Sue takes down Ling and then pushes a capsule with plutonium it in him into his throat and i guess because of the pressure of his throat it activates the plutonium this is a small piece of plutonium and basically burns ling from the inside out um the crew wins the plutonium is given to sue uh vanessa's back with her dad um you know tony's like i'm finally gonna get my shit together um because he's definitely about to spend some time in jail and that it's the end of Curse of the Grave. And then we get... Did y'all watch the ending credit scene? No, I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, I was listening to it. Y'all didn't see I it? Was, okay. I, I just said I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Corey saw it. Mary didn't see it. But it's a very funny exchange between Archie and Tommy talking about how they're the real heroes because they shot down the helicopter. And Archie's like, you know what? I'm going to turn everything that happened to us into a movie. And he's like, you know what? I want Arnold Schwarzenegger to play me, but... um that's not gonna happen who did he pick in the end he Corey? picked mel gibson for mel gibson and then and denzel. Um, denzel washington <laughs> for the other guy and so like it's this really funny cutscene, and then the movie ends dun, oh dun. yeah i meant to ask so the person who made romeo must die did they make this movie as well because they mentioned them in the at the I end think, as well i think that's i think so let me see the director is okay uh, yeah because they literally said the person's name and i was like what yeah uh producer romeo must die yes the same producer oh okay makes so sense that's why those movies are literally why... the same in different fonts yes. <laughs> that is literally what happened um feelings thoughts concerns after <laughs> watching the movie um um it was i thought it was a pretty fun movie it wasn't like bad it was just like mm-hmm. i kind of feel like the movie didn't take itself too seriously or maybe i was getting the wrong vibe i thought they were mm-hmm. just like having fun like it was trying to be like a, a heist movie but at the same time it was just like okay this is just fun it wasn't like a straight out comedy but you could tell they weren't like we have to be serious actors you know right and dmx was pretty good for like a rapper actor mm. Mm. what about you man i had the ex- exact opposite reaction i thought that it was trying to be serious but this is the best they can do in whatever year this movie came out because i was like 
I don't know. DMX climbing up the wall when the dog was chasing him <laughs> took me out. I, that was, that was like, and I was like, is that supposed to be like a cool scene because like this is like an action movie or is it supposed to be com- like funny? I could not tell. The only reason why I said it didn't take itself seriously is because the end credit scene when they were just oh, yeah, joking yeah. around. I was like, oh, okay, so they know exactly what this movie was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, question. Do you have a favorite moment or line or scene that you really liked? Um, every time Jet Li fought and didn't take his hand out of his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> when I noticed that was a pattern, I was like, okay. <laughs> Uh, mine's would be when they were trying to tell um, DMX's daughter to shut up and she yelled back at them <laughs> shut up yes but that's just so cute um, this movie I don't know why this is the movie that like is attached to my memory um, I haven't watched in years so I enjoyed watching it like twice uh, it's, it's I definitely agree that on some moments you're like is this movie trying to be serious but when you get to that ending credit scene you realize that no they weren't they weren't trying to be like the next oceans there really wasn't that much thought into the plot or things happening because it, honestly if this was trying to be a serious movie there is no fucking way that the robbers should be using missiles and snipers you're right. to you're open right. safes <laughs> no way in hell um, I think that this is, it's it's always just so interesting to me how Jet Li will just be forever ingrained in the black community. <laughs> For, like, Romeo Must Die Alone would have submitted him into be at least for another century or so in, you know, our kids' memories and what's not. But, like, but also being in Credit to the Grave, I feel like he did a lot of movies with, like, that were centered around black people and things like that. But um, I think First of all, Curse to the Grave is always... I think this is kind of one of my favorite types of action movies. I I feel like heist movies are always hilarious because you can't just... You can't just do a heist movie and be like, oh, we're just going to go steal this thing and it's over. There has to be story to it. There has to be some kind of comedy element or some type of mystery. Like with Ocean's 12, it's the mystery element of did the heist really happen? Like when you first watch Ocean's 11 or Ocean's 12, and you're like, oh my fucking God, they had playing this shit from the beginning. Like, you know, it's that aha moment. And then you have heist movies like this where it's like, it's the one-liners are what makes it funny. It makes it iconic. And then you get to watch iconic people just kind of doing good at what they do. Because there's like, there's no, this is not like a cinematic masterpiece. I think it was filmed very well. Uh, there's, um, it definitely has that, um, 2000s kind of grit to it um they have cgi in this they showed us the inside of that man's throat with a plutonium went off. <laughs> so that's like kind of like a step up for a lot of um i guess early 2000s movies you can tell that they put thought into the characters and how they were going to respond they're like we have Jet Li and dmx i don't think we're going to make them try to get an oscar <laughs> And I think these type of films are great because they know what they are and they're they're gonna they're doing what they do best, which is to make us laugh and make it memorable. And mm-hmm. I think for a comedy film like this, it was very cohesive. Cause some films, some heist or action stories, the story itself doesn't make sense. Like sometimes they can be too focused on the giant heist itself. Or, or um like the trouble that the people are in but this one was like this was like a bad day for everybody and you just kind of get to see this was a bad day for these criminals and i'm just trying to figure shit out as they go and yeah nobody's like a criminal genius or anything like that they're like a team that's been mm-hmm. doing this for a while and it feels real in that essence even though it's very unbelievable <laughs> it's very unbelievable I think my favorite scenes is the one of Tommy flirting with the, the security guard. That was hilarious. Um, oh, in the oh, beginning. But, yeah. He, <laughs> what did he say? He was like, I, I'm big. I'm big down there or something like that. Or yes. What did he say? Oh, I, I remember every time he said something, I was like, no, oh my God. Like, no way you just said that. Because he, he was saying some really ridiculous shit. Like, oh, I love a pretty face and a man in a uniform. Yes. He took me like so out like the secondhand embarrassment was so strong <laughs> exactly i like couldn't even pay attention to the food that i was eating no he 
the cringiest line I think in that monologue to me is like, "Well, I'm just gonna have to steal something and let you arrest me." Handcuff me. <laughs> He's like, and, the, and I think what makes it awkward is that even though Tommy's like really laying it on thick, the way that the security person responds is just so bland. He's like, "You know, I can get rough." And I'm like, oh. <laughs> "Kill me, kill me." Uh, no, but I was just like, "God, that was hilarious to me." Also, I just. I'm sorry. For Roberts, the fits were fresh. Why was Daria always yeah. in heels in that little red jacket in her little All the leather top? jackets and whatnot in the shades. <laughs> the shades and shit. I was like the I I appreciate the, the, the fashion department for having a very clear vision of what everyone was wearing. Um I'm upset that Jet Li's swag didn't come out more often, but he you know, he's a central intelligence agent. So shade. It was a shade. <laughs> it was shade. It was shade. Also, like, of course, this is a 2003 movie. There are definitely problematic dialogue. Everything that Jump Chambers said <laughs> would have never made it on screen today. <laughs> he was just so nonchalantly disgusting <laughs> in the way he was talking about people. Um, but it's like, it's not the type of... It's real disgusting. And not over the top disgusting. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like delivery on that character was very intentional. Um, I also love... Uh, I talked about Vanessa. She was amazing. Oh, why do I feel like Paige Heard? Yeah. Paige Heard, I feel like she's in a lot of iconic black stuff. Critter the Grave, Beauty Shop. Yeah. She's been in it all. <laughs> um, But... She, you know, she was iconic as Vanessa. Um, the fight scenes. This is what I wanted to talk about the most. Because, <laughs> one, Jet Li having his hand in his pocket for most of the fight scenes was hilarious. Um, the fight scene at the the underground fighting ring was... <laughs> was comic, comic on a level... I think they weren't trying to be funny with that scene... But when the the cage fell on top of the people <laughs> and they just continued to fight and were using it as a trampoline, I said, ain't no way in hell. <laughs> ain't no way in hell. I was just like, and I also couldn't understand why the other fighters were so mad at Sue that they decided to all jump in the ring and try to fight him. I'm like, once you see the first three motherfuckers get their ass kicked, why do you think you can still take this man? <laughs> also, that was the first fight where he took his hand out of his pocket. <laughs> that was the first fight where he took his hand out of his pocket, which I thought was funny. But what really killed me is the ending fight scenes where it's somehow the scenes between Sue and Ling are a martial arts movie. <laughs> While the scenes between, like, Daria and Sona and then Tony and Charles are, like, just regular street movies that fit with the theme of the film. But the, the I don't know why they suddenly were surrounded by a ring of fire and it was raining just in that one spot because they hit a pipe. I was sick. Like, when they kept going in between fights, and I was like, why is it raining where Sue and Ling is, but it's not raining? Where Tony and Charles are. And I realized it's because the helicopter smashed into the building, right? Mm. But that whole scene... Like, even the fighting stances... When, when Sue and Ling finally had to fight, and Ling just pulls out that, like, basic-ass martial arts fight stance, I was like, really? <laughs> it, like, changed the whole tone of that scene. Even the way that's filmed. Because the way that they film that scene between Jet Li and the other actor, it's like wide shots and close-ups. It's like very martial art cut fighting scenes. It's like somebody else directed that one scene compared to the rest of the movie. And I don't know if they were trying to be funny or that, or that was like one of the more serious parts of the movie because they have Jet Li. There's like, we can't have Jet Li in this movie and not have an epic fighting scene. But also if you were going to do that, I feel like you should have got another actor who was also great at fighting because it just looked like he just whooped his ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, the I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is the music. The way I knew too many lines of the background music 
just showed you how many times I'd watched this movie <laughs> and how much I enjoyed it. I never realized there was a Korean line in this movie before. That took me the fuck out. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's just, it's a fun, good, it's a, it's good fun. It's, it was definitely one of those movies that was on like FX all the time. Mm-hmm. And you could just, you just kind of watch it and take it for what it is. It's definitely not a cinematic masterpiece. And honestly, I hate people who try to critique movies like this and compare them to um, compare them to other big movies or whatever. I'm glad it made good money because it deserved it. Also, Jetly, fine. DMX, also fine. I didn't realize how good looking he was until I rewatched this movie. But um, also for a rapper, like Corey said, he delivered. Like we don't Yeah, really- he did pretty good. You're right. When he got angry, I believed it. And there's also there's also some deliveries. Like when he was talking to Archie the first time, it was like I don't know the tone that he was talking to. It's not proper, but it just it it sounds it sounded like it didn't belong in the film. But it was it was odd. I just think that's the way the DMX talks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like I don't know what you can really want more from a heist movie that came out in 2003. I enjoyed it. What about you guys? I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was very fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was have to say. Do y'all like thing. heist movies? Um, I don't know if I, I watch a couple, but I feel like they don't really make them that much. Like the ones I've seen, mm. I've liked. I don't know if I would say that it's particularly like a genre, a type of movie I like. Mm. What about you, Corey? Uh yeah, I would say I, I like them, but like Marin, I haven't seen that many because I mean they used to make a lot like in the mid two thousands, back when like Ocean's Eleven and stuff was popular, mm-hmm. and they kind of slowed down a bit. But yeah, those movies are usually pretty fun, and it's not like they're usually not movies you need to sit there and think critically about, yeah. right? Which I think is why I enjoyed them so much. Yeah, um, yeah, Ocean's was a big heist series. I feel like the only big heist thing that came out was the Spanish. One money heist. Oh, oh yeah. money heist. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's getting remade in Korea. I guess TV wise, they probably still do it, but like movie wise, I don't think. Yeah, the many. movie industry is all superhero right now. It's a very weird place to be, but um, I also think that it would be hard to create that magic mm-hmm. of like Ocean's Eleven in a heist. Did it? Was it? Wait, pause. Wasn't there a heist movie where it was Lupita Nyong'o? And Fam Bing Bing. I that watched that out. movie. You I know did? That, I did see that movie. Um three three something. Three something. I forgot the name. Let's see. It's called The Three Five Five. Yes, that's what it's and called. It's like an international spy was it good? Um yeah, I'd say it's interesting. I'd have to really go back and watch it. Um I would like to let you know that Fun Bing Bing is barely in that film. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but yeah, it's called 355. Huh. That's so I preferred the women's version of Ocean's um what is it called? Yeah, the one that had yeah, Rihanna I preferred in it. that version of an all women's heist group than I did that film. Then I did 355, but 355 was still good. Wasn't there a, even like a women's heist movie way before back in the day with like Jada Pinkett Smith and Queen Latifah. Yes, I have and, not seen uh, that one. Oh, oh, you're talking about. I can't remember what it's called. Oh my god, I'm to find it. Yeah, it's iconic. It was the girls. I know for a fact I've seen that movie once, but I just don't remember like everything. Set it about off. It. Set it off. Set it yeah, off. Yeah, set, set it, it off. off. Yeah, I always just remember hating the ending of that movie. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like. I don't have we had like an all black heist movie? Oh, uh, not so. that I can think of. Besides, set it off. Let's type it in and see what we find. The best black heist movies. That's not a world that has black people in it. It's not all black though. Yeah, it's like I can think of like some with a lot of black people in it, but not something that's like just black people entirely. The at least ones that I have seen. So yeah, I think set it off was one of the only. Ones where it's like majority black people. Windows? A Widows. Blue Streak? Is this the movie I was looking for? I swear to God, this movie called like Blue Crush or Crush something. That was also a heist movie that I liked. But I cannot 
I cannot remember. Okay. Also, so, um, a, oh, high go ahead. Called, yeah. a high movie called Catch the Kid featuring Corbin Blue and Kristen Stewart. <laughs> I huh? Yeah. It's like when they're really small. They're like 13 in this film. Oh. Ooh, we should add Spy Kids to our list of movies to rewatch. Oh, yes. <laughs> the first 3D movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that or Shark Boy Lava Girl. <laughs> oh. Um... But yes, that was uh, Credit to the Grave. What rating would you give Credit to the Grave? I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Okay, solid, solid. What about you, Corey? Yeah, based off an uh, enjoyment, I'll give like an 8 out of 10. Because I like like this and Romeo Must Die a lot. Even though the, the plot may not be like the best thing in the <laughs> world. Especially with Romeo Must Die. I don't think I've ever seen Romeo Must Die fully. I think mm-hmm. I've only seen parts of it. We'll have to add that to the list. Um, but yes, I give also an 8 out of 10. It's uh, The music in this movie is obviously ingrained in my head for the rest of my life. Um, I think it's it's a comfort kind of film for me. It's fun to watch. Um, and I just kind of enjoy, enjoy um, the... It's not chaos. It's like quiet chaos. For a film that didn't take it seriously, it wasn't as chaotic as it could have been, which I kind of enjoy. I feel like it was a smartly written movie, um, and the pacing makes sense, and the story makes sense, and it, it deserves its little accolades that it got. Um, but on our obscure 2000s movies trip, I think it's either Corey or Nia's turn next to pick a movie. Corey, do you have any movies you'd like us to watch? 2000s movies mm-hmm. uh i'll think of something later i'm thinking now it'll, it'll be like one of the brats <laughs> movies or something oh, or like yeah. you what is that girl's name something paxton what is her name paxton? she had a movie called aqua marine <laughs> that was about mermaids <laughs> yeah something like that aqua marine starring emma roberts and sarah paxton yeah, Sarah Paxton. Uh, wasn't there a whole Nickelodeon show about mermaids? Yes. Yeah, I think there was. I think it was like Australian or something. Yeah. Like I remember it yes. being on Nickelodeon too. Yes. My next movie, when we get back to my turn though, is going to be Surf Ninjas. Ooh, so, I don't think I've ever heard of that. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, But yes, thank you guys for tuning in to another... I guess this is, this is still black cinema. Um... um or we're going to do another obscure title series. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this review. And I hope if you go to watch Credit to the Grave after this, please let us know. Please come talk to us on the Discord or on Twitter at Commented or TikTok at Commented Podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast and love us, please give us a five-star review here on Spotify at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It lets us know that you guys are loving our content and encourages us to keep going but until next time i'm tori i'm Marin, and i'm decoria and nia <laughs> we'll uh see you next time bye bye, bye.